Amen. And one thing I also didn't mention, we are coming into what's, what we are calling baby season at Grace Covenant Church. We have a number of uh, women in our church that uh, are expecting. And we have like this, this whole lineup that was perfectly planned from uh, like September, October, December, January, February. We have this line of, I think, five or six women who are expecting. So uh, please be in prayer for all of them. Uh, something's obviously in the water at Grace Covenant Church. Uh, we took God's command seriously when he said, be fruitful and multiply. So, all right. Well, let's open up our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Today we're going to look at the next beatitude in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today we're going to look at the seventh beatitude as Jesus addresses a key attribute, a key description, an attribute of those who will be called children of God. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse today, and that's verse 9, where the Lord says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that now we can turn to your word and be exhorted and equipped, uh, encouraged, convicted, comforted. Father, your word is sufficient for all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, Father, we thank you that we have your written word. And now, God, as I attempt to preach it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, that it would uh, be spoken um, accurately according to the text, and that I would only preach that which you have spoken. And God, I pray that you would use your word today. Father, speak to your people uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a massive amount of confusion in this world when it comes to the idea of peace or being a peacemaker. Uh, from a biblical sense, there's a massive amount of confusion. When the world thinks about peace on earth, when the world thinks about peacemakers, you know, one of the things that our culture and the world thinks about, one of the, I would say, in a worldly sense, the pinnacle of what it means to be a peacemaker uh, is what they call the Nobel Peace Prize. You ever heard of the Nobel Peace Prize? Right? Have you ever done some deeper diving on, on, on what that is and, and what their criteria is uh, for who they uh, grant this prize for? Uh, well, I did. And according to the Nobel Peace Prize, they're on their site. Uh, they say in regard to the Peace Prize, the will of Alfred Nobel stipulated that it was to be awarded to the person who shall have done the most or the best work for fraternity between nations, for the abolition or reduction of standing armies, and for the holding and promotion of peace congresses. Over the course of time, the Nobel Peace Prize has been awarded in recognition of many different kinds of peace work and concepts of peace. So the idea of the Nobel Peace Prize is to award it who people who are, are the, the pinnacle that year of promoting peace on earth. Have you ever looked at the list of some of these people who have won the Nobel Peace Prize? I, I just had to laugh, uh, or, or really, if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. Uh, one of them was Yasser Arafat, 1994, who was a known supporter of terrorist organizations. Okay? 2007, Al Gore won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the reason why he won it was for his making everybody so aware of global warming. That was the reason, okay? 
And then in 2009, who could forget President Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize. So I just bring that up to say that the world has absolutely no idea from a biblical sense what peace means according to God or what it means to be a peacemaker according to the word of God. But God, didn't you say that there would be peace on earth, right? We don't see peace on earth today, do we? That's where you shake your head. We don't see peace on earth. But if you think about like Luke 2, that's one thing that my mind went to was, well, God, when, when the multitude of angels came at the arrival of the birth of our Lord and Savior, what was the announcement? Of, it said the multitude of heavenly hosts was praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men whom with he is pleased. Where's the peace? We don't see peace. We don't see peace on earth. I'm not seeing it. I know you're not seeing it. And what does it mean to be a peacemaker? And the, the Nobel Peace Prize winners, they obviously didn't do a whole lot to promote peace because we still see wars, we see uh, conflict, we see anything but peace on earth. My contention, my thought is I think we have the wrong idea. The culture and the world has the wrong idea from a biblical sense on what it means to have peace and what it means to be a peacemaker. So let's address this idea of peace and being a peacemaker. And I want, I want to address this in two different ways. First, I want to address the negative, what it's not, what peace is not, what being a peacemaker is not. And then I want to address the positive, what does it mean, what, is, what does God mean, what does Jesus mean here when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Is he talking about blessed are these noble prize, peace prize winners that are promoting peace? so-called peace among the nations. Is he meaning people who are uh, peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, or those who um, avoid wars and uh, are part of the peace corps, so to speak? Is he talking about that, or is there another, uh, another sense to that? So first, what peace is not, and what peacemaking is not. First, by way of quick review, remember that we're in the seventh beatitude. And as I've been teaching through these beatitudes, the beatitudes give us, and Jesus gives us a description and gives us attributes of what a true believer is. There are no commands in the beatitudes. Jesus is just giving a description on who is truly in the kingdom of heaven, who is truly a child of God. And there's a natural progression to these Beatitudes. And I've outlined them in the way of the first two is the inner working of God when it comes to salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where this all starts. It's those who realize that they have absolutely nothing to offer God. That they're bankrupt in their spirit and they have no righteousness of their own. And that leads us to the next Beatitude where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is a mourning over the sin and mourning over the realization that we have nothing that we can offer God in terms of righteousness, in terms of our salvation. And then blessed are the gentle or blessed are the meek, your version might say. And that's an outworking of of being uh, humbled by knowing you have nothing to offer God. And by mourning and repentance towards God, you become a meek person and a gentle person because you realize that you deserve nothing but the wrath of God. And then out of that becomes a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know you have nothing of your own, so then you seek and hunger for God's righteousness. 
And all of that, one of the outworkings is you become a merciful person. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. And then last time we looked at blessed are the pure in heart, those who have a sincere heart and one devotion, a single-mindedness towards Christ. And that leads us to the next one, blessed are the peacemakers. It's kind of odd. Every other one, it seems like it's some type of inner working of God. And we get blessed are the peacemakers, and we just kind of think, oh, yeah, okay, I got that. You know, we just try to keep the peace and not ruffle feathers and, you know, not talk about a whole lot of things that might stir up arguments or disagreements. And, and then we just kind of keep reading. But that's not what peace is, and that's not what it means to be a peacemaker. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. The word peacemaker, this is the only time it's used in all the New Testament in the Greek. It's an adjective, and the root word comes, it comes from the Greek word of peace, erone, uh, which literally means to have peace. Okay? Uh, but to be a peacemaker does not mean being a peacekeeper. This is the difference. Okay? Keeping the peace means... That just don't talk about anything. Uh, don't talk about disagreements. Uh, don't talk about conflict. If something comes up, just kind of sweep it under the rug. Let's just kind of keep the peace. Does anybody know anyone like that? Right? We may have family members like that. We won't, we won't talk about anything. Right? Just want to keep the peace. That's not what Jesus is talking about here when it comes to blessed are the peacemakers. It also doesn't mean that somebody is blessed if they have a natural disposition to avoid controversy and to avoid disagreement or to avoid contentious issues. We know people that by nature, they just don't want to have those situations where there might be a little bit of uh, contention or tension between people. They just avoid it. That's natural for them. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about blessed are those who just go along to get along. Because, friends, that's the world's approach to peace, is to be inclusive of everybody's ideas and to never, never say that anybody is wrong about anything. Matter of fact, the world's idea and this culture's idea on how to have peace is to, is to totally deconstruct absolute truth. If we can just get rid of absolute truth, meaning you can have your truth, I can have my truth, but there's no absolute truth, nobody's wrong, then and then only can we have peace. That's the world's idea, to be tolerant of each other, to be inclusive of each other, and no room to say anybody's wrong about anything. So for us to have peace, you religious folks just need to stop talking about your religion outside your little church. That's how we have peace. And if you do that, if you bring your little church and your little Christianity outside the church and you try to say that there's only one right way, you're not promoting peace. That's the cultural perspective to promote peace. And unfortunately, friends, that has infiltrated the church, has it not? Isn't much of the church the same way? Hey, we don't want to divide on, on doctrine. We don't want to talk about issues that are contentious. Uh, let's just keep that within the church. Now, let's just not talk about things that are divisive in nature, and let's just promote peace within brothers and sisters in Christ, but that peace comes on the sacrificing of truth. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here either. He's not talking about keeping the peace. Peacemaking is not sacrificing truth for peace. J.C. Ryle said, quote, 
Never let us be guilty of sacrificing any portion of truth on the altar of peace. He said, never let us be guilty of sacrificing any portion of truth on the altar of peace. We must be careful not to negatively allow the culture to affect our Christian living. And we were just talking about this with uh, the Jenkins as they're preparing to go overseas on their back to the mission field on how believers and even other countries, Christians who were raised in a, in a pagan culture, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism, they become believers and they're still having to fight that pagan cultural worldview when it comes to their Christian living. And, and that affects us too. We're, we're in a pagan nation. We're in a pagan culture. So we have to be careful not to allow the cultural worldview to affect our Christian living, and especially when it comes to this idea of being a peacemaker. Uh, because the cultural idea on keeping the peace, inclusivity, no absolute truth, uh, you know, not bringing up contentious things, not having one way as you're the only way, right? Uh, that's not how Jesus was. You know, a lot of the culture wants to talk about how Jesus came to make peace, uh, but Jesus didn't say that. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to make peace, but a sword, Matthew ten thirty four. Matter of fact, he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He said, for I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the next time someone comes talks about not being divisive and not saying your way is the right way and, and you know, Jesus, he came to make peace, go straight to this text. No, Jesus did not come to make peace. Jesus was meek and mild, was he not? And he dealt with the poor and, and downcast in such a gentle and lowly uh, manner, uh, but with those who would twist the scriptures and those who would claim uh, something that's not true according to the word of God, uh, he was absolutely uh, confrontational, was he not, with the Pharisees who would twist scripture? And why such division? Why would Jesus said he came to set man against his father? And, and he said, I came that a man's enemies would be the members of his own household. Why would, why would there be such division? Why would Jesus say that I came to bring such a division? Because my friend, truth divides. Truth divides. And unfortunately, we've seen that probably in many of us in our own lives, have we not? Whether it's family, whether it's other believers, whether it's other professing believers that have gone astray or apostate, we see this constantly in our culture, and truth divides, but we've got to be careful not to ever sacrifice truth for a so-called peace. Jesus is even more intense in Luke. Luke chapter 12, verse 49 he says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. From now on, five members of one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter 
against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So the point is, when you have an absolute truth that comes, when Jesus gives the absolute truth, like, I am the way, the way, the truth, the life, when you have absolute truths that conflict with cultural acceptable sins, the truth, friends, will divide. Now, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, there's an idea that there's an active, ongoing attempt to make peace, not to hide and to keep temporary peace. So that's, not, that's what peace is not. <laughs> so what is peace in a biblical framework? Well, peace in the Old Testament in Hebrew is shalom. You've probably heard that word before. That word defined means something that has been finished or made whole. A state of complete, or a state of being complete. It's got the idea of being complete in a spiritual sense. And often the word shalom is attributed from the divine blessing of Yahweh. So when you say shalom, peace, it's not talking about necessarily uh, a lack of war amongst countries or uh, a lack of peace among uh, the, the nations. It's, a, it's an internal completeness, uh, a divine blessing from God. Jesus even put it this way. John fourteen twenty seven. he said, Peace I leave with you. Okay, Lord, what's, what's the peace? My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, he says, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And then in Two chapters later, 16, verse 33 of John, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So the divine blessing from Yahweh of peace is not, is not contingent upon what's happening in our culture. It's not contingent upon wars or not wars. The peace that offers from that God offers is a peace that is internal. It's a peace within your soul. It's a peace that makes you spiritually complete. So while we may not experience peace in the world, so to speak, because we will have tribulation, we have the promise of God to have peace in the deepest sense of our need. And this peace, friends, both with us and with others, does not come by being passive. It does not come by avoiding truth or by avoiding hard situations or by avoiding inevitable conflict. This type of peace does not come by suppressing issues. As a matter of fact, if you're one to just try to forget about issues, conflicts, contention, and one of those sweep it under the rug, that's not keeping the peace. You're actually creating a future disaster. And you're creating even more strife because the more you try to suppress the issues, the more you try to avoid the confrontation that you know is inevitable, uh, the more you try to duck and run and just keep the peace and no one talk about it. Friends, that's only going to bubble. It's only going to bubble, and eventually it's going to come out and be even more disastrous if you didn't deal with the issue up front. John MacArthur said this, quote, The Bible kind of peace conquers error, confronts sin, 
and produces a true peace. The Bible kind of peace, he says, is the peace that exists after the struggle has been resolved. That's how you experience true peace. Not by not confronting sin, not confronting issues, not speaking the truth of the word of God, not taking a stand. It comes after the struggle. There's two kinds of peace that's detailed in Scripture that I want to go over. Peace with God and then peace with man. So you got a vertical peace and then you got horizontal peace. Seeking peace in both of these areas is what it means to be a peacemaker. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So the first way to be a peacemaker is first you have to look at the vertical. Having peace with God. That's the very first way to be a peacemaker. Do you have peace with God? Ephesians 2.3 says that we are by nature children of wrath. We're the children of God's wrath. We don't have peace with God by our nature. We were enemies. If you're in Christ, you were an enemy. If you're not in Christ, you are an enemy of Christ. There is no neutrality. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Then in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So Paul is saying in Romans 5.10 that while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God. Now reconciliation uh, is almost synonymous with peace, is it not? See, when you're an enemy with someone... You're not at peace with them. But when there's reconciliation, now you're at peace. Well, that's what God did for us, did he not? If you're in Christ, you are an enemy of God. You were a child of his wrath. And by his grace alone, he came and he reconciled you to himself. And now, according to Romans 5.1, therefore, have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The text says. So the first way to be a peacemaker, the first way to have the blessing of God, to be a peacemaker, is first to have peace with God. Friends, if you don't have peace with God, you don't have peace at all. And there's no way any of the rest makes sense. There's no way to have true peace among men and women because you don't have peace with God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The second way to have peace with God is, um, excuse me, the second way to be a peacemaker. Since believers have peace with God, we ought to seek to help others to find peace with God. Since we have peace with God, we ought to seek to help others find peace with God. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. Leading others to Christ is being a peacemaker by helping enemies of God to have peace with God. We are being peacemakers. You get what I'm saying? You know someone who's not in Christ. They're an enemy of God. You doing all that's within you to share the gospel, to plant seeds of truth. You are being a peacemaker because you're helping that person become reconciled to God to have peace with God. And that's what it means to be a peacemaker. As I mentioned, you were an enmity with God before you came to Christ. 
God, by his grace, became a peacemaker and reconciled you to himself. Now that you're a child of God, do the things that your father does and go out and be a peacemaker and help others be reconciled to God. Colossians 1.20 says, through Christ to re- or, And through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. See, by Jesus dying on the cross, he made peace. Because there had to be a sacrifice and there had to be a just penalty in order for God to be at peace with you. It's not that we're at peace with God. God's at peace with us because of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So peacemakers seek to help others find that same peace that we have with God. Friends, what good is it? What good is it to to be a, a peacemaker in the eyes of the culture and helping sinners get along and have temporary peace if we don't help them to have eternal peace? We just help them have a better life and then suffer an eternity forever in hell. What good is that? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Not what Jesus is talking about here. So how do we help others have peace with God? Well, it's easy, friends. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, one place in Scripture, it's called the gospel of peace. Romans 10, 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? And right before that, you know the the chain, how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless a preacher be sent? And then verse 15 says, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So this is Romans 10, 15, and Paul is, he's quoting Isaiah 52, verse 7 which says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Brothers and sisters, when you proclaim the gospel, you're being a peacemaker. When you proclaim the gospel, you are announcing the only way to have true peace in this life and the next. Now, you understand when I say proclaim the gospel, I don't just mean preaching, although that is part of it. When you proclaim the gospel, that's just my word for sharing the gospel, uh, evangelizing. I just like to use the word proclaim because it's actually a biblical word. When they used to evangelize, it was used, they would announce They would proclaim, they would herald. It was the word that was used when there would be an ambassador for a king who would go into the city and make an announcement and say, Hear ye, hear ye, and they would give, Thus says the king. And that's the same word used for the gospel. It's to be heralded, it's to be announced. And that could be in in an open setting, or that could be one-on-one with sharing somebody. Look, i I got to tell you the truth, and you're not going to like this. Uh, you're not going to like this because the, the Christian um, faith is I- exclusive. There's no other way. I, I like how Pastor David, you, you, you said this when you were preaching Romans 1 here. Uh, I love that word, the exclusivity of the gospel. Uh, and that just rings true in my mind and should yours that we should have that mentality 
uh, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're proclaiming it to the lost, that um, you're not going to like this because it is exclusive. It, 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 there's no other way. That's being a peacemaker. Matter of fact, we're even called to reconcile others to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, look with me. Turn there with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. You just stop there and think about those words. That God reconciled us to himself through Christ. He was a peacemaker. He came and by his grace reconciled us who were at enemy, who were an enemy with God. He reconciled us through Christ and gave us, the believers, the ministry of reconciliation. Have you ever thought about that you have the ministry of reconciliation? Whatever context that God gave you in your life, uh, whether the context you have right now is you're a parent and you have children such as I, you know, one of my main duties as a father is that I have the ministry of reconciliation for my children to make sure that I do all that's within me to help them be reconciled to God. Because you spend some time around my house, you'll see the sin comes from Daddy. And the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I know my children are quite quiet around y'all, but it's a little different at the corral house. And... If you get upset that your kids are sinners, well, they get it from you. And specifically you, Dad, because it's your seed that they just inherited your sin from. So um, it is your duty, parents, to do all that you can do to make sure that your children are reconciled to God. That's your first ministry. But look at what it continues. Look at verse 19. He says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us. The word of reconciliation. Listen, it gets powerful here. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are ambassadors. If you're in Christ, you are not of this world. You are in the kingdom of heaven, and you are an ambassador for Christ. And when you, when you become a peacemaker and you proclaim the gospel, you are actually doing God's work. And as, as verse 20 says, it's as though God were making an appeal through you. And it says, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's what we do. We're just beggars begging others to be reconciled to God, to have peace with God, to come to Christ, to flee sin, repent of your sin, and come to Christ and put your faith and trust in Christ alone. That's being a peacemaker, friends. That's being a peacemaker. And blessed are the peacemakers, as Jesus says, for they shall be called the children of God. So we have peace with God. That's the vertical 
And we also have the ministry of reconciliation where we, where we beg others to have peace with God, to come to Christ, to flee their sin and come to Christ. But also, since believers have peace with God, we ought to also pursue peace with others. And that's the horizontal peace. The text says that peacemakers shall be called children of God. Now, I mentioned earlier that if you're around my house enough, you can, you can see the sin that's reflected from their father. And if you have children, you see that, right? When you're like, where did they get that? And you realize, oh, wow, I do that. That's awful. And children are a wonderful blessing that God uses to show us our sin. Amen? Uh, at the same time, when we see good traits in our children... Oftentimes, they get that from us because children mimic their father than their mother. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So if you're a child of God, you ought to reflect your father. And your father, God, is the God of peace. That was in our scripture reading, Hebrews 13. God is the God of peace, Hebrews 13, 20. Because God is the God of peace, your Father is the God of peace, we ought to also seek to be at peace among men. And the opposite of pursuing peace, friends, is sowing discord, sowing strife, which is one of the things that God hates, and one of the things that he says is an abomination. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, it's one of the seven things that are an abomination to God are those who spread strife. Not among the pagan culture, but among the brethren. So there's no neutrality. You're either seeking peace and pursuing it, as the scripture says, or you are sowing and spreading strife. We ought to be those who seek peace and pursue it, as the word says. Romans 12, 18, because I know what you're thinking. Okay, Mark, it's impossible to be at peace among all. It's, it's, I can't do it. Romans 12, 18, I think God, in his grace, he says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Brothers and sisters, there are people that are never going to be at peace with us. Even maybe Christians may never be at peace with us. But so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, all women hebrews twelve fourteen, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification to which no one will see the lord our duty as christians since our father is the god of peace we ought to pursue peace with a passion charles spurgeon put it this way quote he said he said, quote, Our love ought to follow the love of God in one point, namely, in always seeking to produce reconciliation. It was to this end that God sent his Son. So because God sent his Son to reconcile himself to us, we always should be seeking to be at peace and reconciliation where needed amongst the brethren. God is glorified, friends, when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. God is glorified even in conflicts between believers in the church, believers out of the church, believers in a family. God is even glorified when there's conflict and there's a disagreement, but there's 
peace that's being sought. God is glorified in that. It is every believer's responsibility to pursue peace wherever you are, in your marriage, in your home, in your family relationships, work life, in the church, husbands, wives, it's your job. Children, it's your job to seek peace among your siblings. It's your job. It's your duty. You must. So there's dozens of scriptures that give us the exhortation to seek peace. Psalms 34, 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter 3.11, he must turn away. The, the preceding text says the one who desires life must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and he must turn away from evil, do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Now remember, we've got to get the cultural peace out of us because it's not just keeping the peace and not talking about things that might stir up controversy. That's not what we mean. So keep in mind when we're talking about seeking peace, It's not that cultural definition. We have to have the biblical uh, definition. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for what? Peace. We ought to pursue those things which make for peace. So how do we do that? How do we seek for peace when we're all fallen? We might be believers, but we're sinful. We can be in the flesh. We can offend and be offended. How do we seek for peace? I'm going to give you just a few highlights. I actually preached a three-part sermon on this uh, back in December, January called Walking in Peace. So if you'd like to dig in more to that, you can go to our site and you can look those up. So how do we seek for peace? This is that horizontal peace, okay? We're believers in Christ. We've, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we seek for peace among brothers and sisters? Well, first, we must be clothed in humility, we must be clothed in humility. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-five says an arrogant, or another version may say prideful, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. So the very first thing that I believe must be, uh, must be paid attention to, to seek for peace, is that we must be clothed in humility. In Philippians 2, in the first four verses, as Paul gives the exhortation for the church at Philippi to be in unity, to be in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, he gives them the how. He says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the very first thing we must do, we must be clothed in humility. How many conflicts would be avoided if we just obeyed that scripture right there? If we had humility of mind and regarded others as what? more important than yourself. We would be a lot less susceptible to be offended and less susceptible for our prideful heart to swell up as well and have an entitlement attitude, right? That I know nobody here gets ever. 
That was, I don't deserve that. I'm saying that because I've, I've been there. I can relate. We have to be reminded, but yes, you do deserve it. As a matter of fact, you deserve a lot worse than that. Get over yourself. Humble yourself. Pride will absolutely kill peace among believers. Pride will kill peace and unity amongst local churches. Pride will kill peace and unity in the family, in the home. We must be clothed in humility and not have the entitlement attitude. And we must not be quick to be offended. Next, to seek for peace, we also must control our anger, which oftentimes is the outworking of that pride, is it not? We must control our anger, which works in opposition for pursuing peace. Oftentimes, conflict, when it happens, can invoke emotions that we have and can invoke the emotion of anger. It can boil up. We've, we feel attacked. We feel like somebody has not treated us right or they, we've been unloved. Uh, we've been misunderstood or even been, we've been slandered against or misrepresented. And oftentimes that can invoke in us the pride and then that leads to anger. We must control our anger. If our anger is left without being dealt with, it will cause us to sin in that anger. Whether it's an outburst of anger, which is a sin that God hates, uh, whether it's bitterness, whether it's whatever, we have to deal with it. And many believers justify their anger by looking at one scripture that may seem to say, hey, we can be angry, and that's Ephesians 4.26. Be angry. See, I can be angry. It's righteous indignation. But they ignore the 40 other scriptures that says get rid of anger. Let it not be near you, right? Ephesians 4.26, five verses later, Paul says, Let all bitterness and all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be what? Be put away from you along with all malice. Now, I'm not going to preach on righteous indignation. Is that a thing? What is it? God seemed to have righteous anger. But my friends, if we're real with us when we're angry... Is it a righteous and holy anger as God has? No. It's usually because we're offended, is it not? It's usually because we feel like we're entitled. Now, we ought to hate sin. We ought to hate what God hates. And I feel like we ought to hate it with a passion. But the anger that we're talking about that most of us struggle with is not that type of uh, zealous hatred for the things that God hates, if we're just honest with ourselves. And I'm, there's just dozens of scriptures, and I'm just, you can look them up, tons of them on getting rid of anger, not, being, not even being around and associate with people who are given to anger, Proverbs 22, 24. Ecclesiastes 11:10. remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body, it says. James 1.20 says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So in order to pursue peace, to be a peacemaker amongst brothers and sisters, we must, we must control our anger. And if it's something that you deal with, you must repent of it and take it to God. Confess it because he knows it already. But to agree with him that it's egregious and confess your sin and forsake your sin because the anger is displeasing to God in that context. 
Uh, Third, to pursue peace, we must control our tongue. We must control our tongue. Proverbs 10.19 says, When there are many words, transgression is avoidable, is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. If you want to be a peacemaker and you want to pursue peace amongst the brothers, amongst friends, amongst family, amongst the church, then we have to control our tongue. Which we know when James says that the tongue is what? It's one thing we can't tame, right? But you know, if you have the Spirit of God, you absolutely can. With God's help, you can tame your tongue. You can learn when to keep your mouth closed. You don't need to always open it, okay? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We must control our tongue, brothers and sisters. Our tongue is a fruit and outworking of, in, of what's in the heart. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you feel like things are coming out of your mouth when you're in a conflict or when you're offended, uh, then you have to take a look at your heart and deal with what's in your heart. Uh, because usually if you back up, it's usually either anger or pride is the, uh, is the root of that. Or lack of trust in God. You may not be trusting God's providence in the situation, and therefore uh, you have anger that builds up, and that outburst of anger comes in words that you regret saying to people or in, circum- in, in the situation. So we have to control, we have to control our tongue. So we have to uh, be clothed in humility to pursue peace. Uh, we have to control our anger, and we have to control our tongue. So I want to ask you, friends, just to conclude, are you a peacemaker? The way that we've looked at the Word of God, the way that we've looked at how Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, I want to ask you, are you a peacemaker? Or do you love strife? Do you love to gossip and talk poorly about others to make yourself look better and that just sows discord? Do you desire to seek to see sinners be reconciled to God? Do you desire to be a peacemaker in that respect? Again, friends, there's no command in this beatitude. In all the beatitudes, there's no command. God is describing what a true Christian looks like. Not that we're perfect. But friends, if you don't desire to be at peace with others, if you don't desire to see others reconciled to God, if you could care less about others close to you dying and spending eternity in hell. Not that we're perfect and we're always going out to evangelize and we're just the perfect ray comfort and we're always out on and and doing those things. Uh, But friends, if you don't have the desire, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, if you don't have the, the, the desire to see other people saved, I fear that you're even saved. Because once you come to Christ, you realize what God saved you from. And you have a heart and compassion to see others be saved from the thing that you were going to suffer for eternity. I ask you again, are you a peacemaker? If we claim to be children of God, let us seek to be conformed to the image of Christ and pursue peace without sacrificing truth. And I want to remind you again, Romans twelve eighteen: as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
So you can be at peace with others, even if they're not at peace with you, knowing that you've obeyed God by seeking reconciliation. You live, you live long enough in this life, uh, there's going to be some heartache with other people. There's going to be strained relationships uh, with other people, maybe even other believers. Uh, but so far as it depends on you, be at peace with them and do what you can for reconciliation. And we also must have discernment on when we're truly casting pearls before swine because Jesus does give us that exhortation later on in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a time and a place to stop. You've done what you can. You've tried reconciliation. You've tried to be at peace. And everything that you're doing is being trampled on. And there's a time and a place to have that discernment. Finally, brothers and sisters, let us seek to be the ultimate peacemaker by proclaiming the gospel to a lost and dying world so that sinners can find peace with God, the same peace that you and I have that are in Christ Jesus. This is totally antithetical to the world. We are not considered peacemakers in this respect. We're considered narrow-minded, shallow, bigoted even. But friends, even though this is antithetical to the world, we must realize that Jesus is on his throne. This is what glorifies Christ. This is what honors the King of Kings. This is what honors the Lord of Lords to be a peacemaker. As Jesus said, they shall be called children of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you by your grace, did not leave us alone in our sin, but you came and you made peace with us. You reconciled us through the death of your cross, through the death of the cross, the death of your Son. By your grace, we have peace with you. And we praise you for that, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to evaluate our own lives. God, are we peacemakers? Do we desire to be at peace with you? Do we desire to be at peace with others? Do we desire for others to have peace with you? Father, I pray if there are any in here or listening, God, that don't have those desires, that you would convict their hearts. Bring them, God, to the, to the truth and the realization, God, that, that they need to be reconciled to you, that they need to seek peace with you. And Father, those that are in Christ that realize that we have just failed in this, Lord, we know we have peace with you, but we have not sought peace with others. If we've sown discord or strife, God, I pray that you would bring us to repentance, Lord, that you would cleanse us from that sin and that we would be believers that would seek peace, that we would not avoid the hard conversations, that we would not avoid speaking the truth, God, but that we would do it in love, that we would do it um, with patience. Help us, God, to wrestle through these things so that we could be at peace with those around us. Help us, God, to honor you and to honor the one who gave us peace. Help us, God, to be conformed to your image. And Lord, help us to stand firm, God, in this pagan world as we constantly battle being conformed to the image of the world, God. Help us to be renewed through our minds, God, to 
not be conformed to the cultural thinking of what it means to have peace with the humanistic worldview, the humanistic ideas of what peace is. Help us, God, to have strength when we are persecuted. Help us to rejoice even when we're reviled for your name, for seeking to have peace with God and for seeking others to have peace with God. May you be glorified. Give us the words, the wisdom, the heart for others. May Christ rule and reign. May you build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. What a powerful message. Hymn number 107, Fairest Lord Jesus, let's stand together and worship the Lord. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, is fairer Jesus is purer who makes the woeful heart to sing fair is the sunshine fair is still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry hosts. Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels have can Savior, Lord of the nation, Son of God and Son of Man, glory and honor, peace, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. Yeah. 
Amen. We want to thank you for worshiping with us today. We want to invite you for a brief time of fellowship right after service down the hall in our Rogers room. Uh, We'd love to chat with you and have some time for fellowship. And I also just want to encourage us um, as we are a church plant, about two years old, and many of of us here, or many of y'all, are are newer. I mean, newer in the last three to six months. We've had quite a few new people, and we're just so blessed uh, for that. And I want to encourage us. The good thing about being new and a lot of other new people is everybody's new, so you don't have to feel weird about it. Uh, but I want to encourage us uh, as we're growing um, as a church plant to really uh, make it your uh, ambition to get to know each other and to get in each other's lives and to practice hospitality and to seek for opportunities outside of church to uh, grow in fellowship with one another uh, so that we can practice the one another's of Scripture And as we grow together, we encourage each other, we walk alongside of each other, and we're glorifying God in our relationship. So I just want to encourage everyone in that. So, all right, so our benediction is Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Thanks.